This is 11 o'clock. In 11 o'clock, I'll be talking to people I find inspiring, whose hobbies I find interesting, or whose lived experience can help us shape and improve our worldview. I believe everyone has a story that we can all learn something from, and hopefully by asking the right questions, I'll be able to find some amazing answers. Welcome to 11 o'clock. I believe in love songs, and I believe in Cinderella, I believe Prince Charming, and I believe I cast a spell that sends her to the skies, cause I believe in handsome men. Welcome back to 11 o'clock, and I'm here with Seth Drury, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> and we're here to talk about your show, Unmasking Prince Charming. Yes, Unmasking Prince Charming. And can you tell us about the show? Yes, I can tell you about the show. The show is a one-man cabaret starring not you, me. Even though that would be really good, actually. But I cannot sing like you. Oh, I mean, we'll work it out. Uh, Yes, it's a one-man cabaret about a guy that struggles with obsessive-compulsive Disney Prince disorder. So much so that he's found himself in trouble with the law. Uh, and he's now has to uh, do some, uh, I guess, therapy to help him get over his obsession. So he, yeah, he goes and does some some art therapy for um, a brief moment in time, and that is where the cabaret kind of kicks off. That's a very specific sort of dis- <laughs> uh, plot. Like, yes. there's art therapy. There's an obsessive compulsive disorder that you created for the show. Yes. Well, I kind of thought, well, look, how do you? You know, I love Disney. I love all things Disney, Disney Prince. I thought, well, how do you, you know, put it on stage so it makes sense? Like, are you just talking about princes or... And I thought, well, I'm pretty obsessive when it comes to Disney. I know a lot about Disney. And then I thought, well, imagine if this person had obsessive compulsive Disney Prince disorder. And if he was speaking from like real life experience that he's modeled his life off these Disney princes his whole entire life. And like kind of where would that lead him? And... After looking at some of uh, Prince Charming's actions and, you know, how he is in in Disney, I kind of think he would end up in trouble with the law. Right. Now, why the princes? Because the princesses are the cooler ones, aren't they? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Well, because there's so much about princesses. It's all about, you know, especially now with things like Frozen and Tangled, like you're looking at me with a blank face because you don't know. No, I totally know those. Oh, do you know those ones? Okay. I have nieces. (laughs) Okay. Well, you're qualified then. Uh, I shock you talking. So things like, yeah, Tangled, uh, Frozen, all about female empowerment and like sisterhood and Moana, you know, all these things about strong, empowered women, which is fantastic because you start the Disney journey with Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, who look to the man supposedly to kind of find their, their way in life. But nothing had ever really been done about these princes. They kind of appear for the first few minutes in a film and they disappear for the entirety of the film and come back at the very end and get married to the princess. And I thought that's kind of a weird concept, yet everyone dreams of finding their own Prince Charming. Everyone dreams of this ideal, but what is this ideal that we're all dreaming about? Come see my show. (laughs) (laughs) And who was your first Disney prince? That I had seen. That or resonated or that you 
had a crush on or that you... Well, I mean, you hear about this in the show, but you cannot get past Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid. And I know you and I were talking just before about how you don't know a lot about uh, The Little Mermaid, except no. for Under the Sea, right? That's right. Rendition. Go. Five, six, seven, eight. All I know is it's somewhere that's better where it's wetter. <laughs> that's what on Wellington. Uh, no jokes. Sorry. Take that out for the kids. Yes. Prince Eric, he's the love interest of Ariel. Uh, he's the, like the most beautiful, the most handsomest Disney prince around. He's a little simple, but that's okay because he's got chiseled abs. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause he, he's, it's okay. Cause he's pretty. It's okay. Cause he's pretty. I think it. Yeah. We extend him some grace right. because of the way he looks. And when you were a kid, mm-hmm. you were obsessed with this one particular prince? Or Look, I was never really obsessed with princes uh, in particular. Obviously, the, the, the whole entire films are, are about um, princesses. Um, the whole entire franchise is around Disney princesses. But I always had an interest in being a prince, you know, regality and, you know, being sophisticated and, you know, polite and finding the one you love through true love's kiss, or by, you know, picking up a glass slipper and putting on every single girl in the kingdom. So yeah. So for me, my love of, of Disney really started with princesses, but um, through the show, I kind of start at the very beginning um, of Disney's incarnation of Prince Charming and kind of work my way through a few different princes. And we kind of note how different they are, um, slight improvements that have been made um, and all of this is done under a bit of a guise of um, obsessive compulsive Disney prince disorder. And do you love all things Disney? Are you like, a, well, now it's pretty much, it encapsulates everything because it's swallowed Star yes, Wars even. Yes. But, you know, like all of the cartoons growing up and like, are you of the age where you used to watch Sunday night Disney with the... Uh, I, I think it was Saturday Disney is what we, we had. Um, with all the different cartoons. All the different cartoons, yeah. But, but did look, you have the wonderful world of Disney where you had the two-parter over two Sunday nights? Oh, my God, no. <gasps> well, I missed out on some childhood there. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> no, I always loved, like, the more Disney classics. So, you know, everything from, um, yeah, Snow White to Cinderella to Pocahontas to Mulan to Hercules, all of those kind of classics is what we call them things like you know even lady and the tramp um the aristocats that kind of stuff is really good too but mainly it has to involve a prince and a princess and does it have to be a musical um by default disney is very musical but no as long as it's disney-esque i'll more than likely give you my money so i can watch it okay and Mm. any thoughts about the remake of mulan that's going to be kick-ass. That's going to be unreal. But I think they pay homage to uh, the music through, I can hear it through the like um, orchestral background. I think they're going to make it quite like legitimate. I don't think she's going to be singing Reflection in a pool, looking at herself going, who am I? I don't think it's a musical. No, which just kind of makes me a bit sad, but it looks pretty kick-ass. So where I wasn't a fan, I will say, of the Lion King remake recently... I kept thinking, why am I bored? Like, I love Disney. Why am I bored? He's singing, like, these amazing songs that I grew up with, Hakuna Matata. And I realized it's because animals don't encapsulate human emotions very well. So I'm just looking at a warthog trying to be human with human emotions. That's why Hakuna Matata is not really resonating with me right now. I didn't bother seeing that. And I just feel that, you know, stop 
remaking originals make something original. Like I think they're just trying to cash in, especially with Lion King. They've, you know, the film original film did really well. Mm. They made the stage show. It's still pumping out money, and then they pump out a movie just to make more money. Rather than buy some, make something original. Welcome to one of the biggest companies in the world. <laughs> probably why. <laughs> probably why. Now, if I were a king who was a lion that could sing, she'd be sure to wet my appetite. And with that crown on my head, she'd be a lioness in bed, and she'd feel my love tonight. Once we were married. <laughs> so, with the cabaret, how did you come about the actual? development of it sure um the idea popped into my head back in 2011 many moons ago when i was just finishing up at acting school and i thought you know people like you know what are you going to do with your life you know what are you what are you going to take away from this education that you've received and i was like maybe a smart ball change and a high kick but i thought no i should probably think a bit smarter and i had this idea of uh, a cabaret about princes, about the idea of Prince Charming, about Disney. Didn't quite know what it would look like or sound like. And then uh, through many years of drafts and, and um, you know, little sneak preview performances and things, I kind of worked it down to the show that it is today. And you did everything yourself? Um, the intellectual property, yes, I guess is mine. Um but I think with, with anyone that wants, you know, something of quality, they want to produce and be a part of something that, um, that is smart and clever and funny and entertaining. I consulted so many different people, um, mentors in my own life that, you know, are fantastic performers. Um, Queenie Van Der Zandt, who was a legend of the Australian stage and screen. Uh, she was a great mentor for me for a time. And she really helped me kind of hone in what it was I was trying to talk about in a cabaret. So, yeah, no, I've had a lot of help along the way to make the show, yeah, kind of what it is today. And how did you end up acting in school? What was the path that got you there? Oh, I was born a performer, even though I almost joined the military, believe it or not. Really? Have I ever told you that story? No. No. And we'll just have to say that our neighbours, my neighbours, are deciding to renovate and pumping up music. So, you've got a weird background noise. It sounds like some kind of, like, authentic Greek music. Yeah, it does, possibly. Oh my God. Yeah. It sounds so great. I should go out there and smash some plates. Yeah. <laughs> so that just started this morning. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to. So you nearly Saturday. joined the military. I almost joined the military. Yes. The air force as my, um, my dad wanted me to, but instead I, my mother said, Seth, you've got these talents. You don't want them to go to waste on the front lines in Iraq. So I said, you're right, mum. I don't want to go there. So I went to acting school instead and thought, look, I may as well see what I can do with this, follow it through, see see if there's an end to this, you know, see if I can get better. And I'm still an actor some 10 years on. But did you ever think you would really suit the military? I mean, the idea of a uniform, pretty men. I don't know why. I think everyone in the military is pretty for some reason. The idea of that, the like perks and the benefits of the military, it's, it's something that I know, like, no, it's a known thing that I could enjoy. But no, I would be... I would be, I don't know, trying to get in the marching band as the baton waver or something. So I'd probably try and find something more creative to do, even in the military. Yeah. I would find that I would be too stubborn 
because they would be, you know, a bunch of my cousins are actually in the military. Uh, now, like, you just learn to react when your sergeant says do something, you do it. And I just would be like, no, tell me why. And I don't agree. <laughs> uh, sorry, sergeant. Can you please explain why you want me to do that? Yeah. I'm not going to do that with that. That makes no logical sense. I yeah. could not commit that way. I'd, I'd battle. Yeah. I probably would too. Um, or I'd roll my eyes and go, okay, <laughs> just this once. Only because you asked nicely. <laughs> yeah. So if it is a Disney-based or inspired show, yes. where's the music from? Sure. So um, the music encapsulates a vast array of um, composers. Um, you have some Alan Menken, who is a Disney composer. There is uh, a couple of excerpts from Disney's early incarnations of things like I'm Wishing from Snow White or One Song from Snow White. Uh, then you also have songs from uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, um, which kind of encapsulate the Prince's thoughts on a few things a bit more. Yeah, so it's quite an array. You've got some um, fantastic Australian music theatre composers, uh, Matthew Lee Robinson. Uh, one of his songs called Princesses is in the show. It's um, hilarious. Um, wish I wrote that. So, yeah, there's quite a, a, a big mix um, with some little, you know, glimpses of some Disney songs mainly because copyright is a hard thing to get for Disney songs. <laughs> but you wrote songs yourself. I have skewed songs myself, but no, the the whole soundscape sounds really original, but um, they're all from just like left of center, either artists or um, even the opening song is an old jazz standard from the 1920s that I've prepped up and made a bit more perky. So yeah, the songs have been taken and morphed into this kind of um, version to suit the show. Mm-hmm. And so after acting school, yes. What, where, what happened? Where did you go? What did you do? Sure. So after acting school, I um, went straight onto the road. Oh, actually, no. After acting school, I went to dance school for twelve months in Sydney, which was brilliant. And actually, it was during acting school that I met you. It was prior to acting school. Was it? It was because I met you two years. Um, for the viewers listening at home, we met when Seth was a mere child doing Australian Idol back yes. in. 2008, I think it was. And then 2009 was when I got through to the semifinals and you were fantastic just there being like, Seth, if you need some water or... I don't know if you did that, but I don't think you did. (laughs) You did a a lot more important things than get me water. So yeah, uh, I I went to dance school and after dance school, I went to and toured Australia with uh, Brainstorm Productions, which is Australia's largest touring theatre company. Right. Yeah, toured... um, from Sydney up to Cairns and then from Cairns down to Melbourne, um, which was great. And then after that, I went overseas to Universal Studios in Singapore for a time, uh, came back, landed in Melbourne, um, and then I've just done um, shows here and there ever since. What's it like trying to get break into the musical theatre scene? Oh, how long do you want this podcast to be? Um, 45 minutes? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's It's tricky. You know, I think... Number one, where we live in a nation where just actually two days ago, I think our wonderful prime minister has decided to absorb the arts, um, the arts department or the arts ministry. ministry, like the ministry of magic, but not, but pretty much into the bloody roads and rail and transport. And I think what, like, here's a fun fact for you. The creative industries in Australia bring in more money to our economy than mining. So Gina Reinhardt, eat your heart out, but um, the creative industries on a, as a whole is so profitable to this country, yet 
we don't even have a minister that represents it anymore. You know, um, soon there'll be a show that needs to star, you know, a bypass or a or a highway as the lead uh, the lead character, and we humans won't be there. So it's tricky when you come from a culture where arts isn't supported and um, it's appreciated, but it's not monetarily supported. Um, I mean, you hear it all the time, like, you know, actors being waiters, actors, you know, waiting tables and working in cinemas and all that kind of stuff. So it, it is quite hard, but I've had to understand that I am inherently a creative person. And uh, being a creative person, I want to live a creative life. Whether that means I'm, you know, front stage center for Frozen the Musical or, um, you know, a a big time Hollywood actor. Or if I'm writing shows like Unmasking Prince Charming and I'm, you know, starring in local, you know, arts developments and, and programs, I'm inherently creative. And so therefore I'll just live a creative life regardless of the industry. musical theater the dream is that the goal i love musical theater the goal for me is actually just to um um to live a creative life so if that is through musical theater um then fantastic um if that's through unmasking prince charming then that's fantastic um my goal isn't really to you know be the leading man in this next production and tour the world. Like we all have those dreams. And of course, the sooner you give up on them, the better. Uh, <laughs> so for me, it's more so about, you know, just, just living a creative life and, um, and creating things wherever and when, whenever I can. Because you're, you do create your own stuff. Yes. And you know, you're creative and you've had all this experience. When you go and watch shows, do you still, uh, can you suspend disbelief and just focus on the show or do you sit there and rearrange it? Cause I saw kiss of the spider woman on Monday night. Yes. And, and it's the first, I didn't know any of the songs. It's the first time I've ever seen the musical. I've seen the movie okay. that it was based on. Uh, but I sat there at the end and went, I just want to rearrange that song, that song, that song. And then it would work better for me. Um, like I didn't want to edit a little creative out. man there. Yeah. I just, well, it's bad. I wanted it to be a bit sadder at the end. Oh, like, I want more emotion. I want it to end on a really sad note. What do these kids learn in acting school these days? Well, it was, you know, Candor and Ebel, whoever like, uh, who wrote it. So it's yeah. their fault. Forgivable. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't the kids. The kids did great on stage. Uh, but yeah, I just like, I sit there and rearrange stuff and go, oh, that would be better here. I kind of redirected mm. in my head. Mm. Do you do that or? Um, sometimes. If it's a bad show, yeah. Um, and there's... There's um, lots of them. The good shows is where I find myself completely um, suspending my own disbelief. I mean, ultimately, that's our job as a performer is to is to be in a in a world that actually isn't on that stage. You know, we're, yes, we're thinking about the technical cues and 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 where you have to move and the words you're saying, but ultimately, as an actor, you're when you're in that moment, you're in that moment. You're not in a theater. You're 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 talking to the character that you're talking to and you're speaking in a way because you are, you are embodying that character in that very moment. So on stage actors are doing everything they can to 
stay present, as we say, and to help suspend your disbelief. I always enter a show with that attitude of I'm like, I'm ready for you to take me somewhere. I'm ready for you to, to, you know, let me see a glimpse of this world or that world or that character. But sometimes productions don't inspire that um, for many reasons, you know, the direction, the songs, the material, the costumes, the, there's so many things that can factor into the person chewing, you know, gum or Maltesers beside you. There can be a lot that can distract you. Um, so if it's a good show, I'm there red hot on board. Um, if it's got good elements, I'm there as well. It's when things start to fall, fall a bit, you know, skew if that I start to get a bit like, Oh, I see that entry or, would have been better if you had an upward inflection. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I I also fall into the critic kind of um, world sometimes. What's more important to you, the intention behind something or the actual execution of it? I mean, they both go hand in hand. I think as a performer, it's it's your intention, and then sometimes the execution falls, or it, it might deliver, or it might not. But for me, a good performer has to align both. They have to have an intention and execute it in a way that makes sense or that is believable or, yeah, um, is good, whatever that word means. Do you have any particular shows or musicals that resonate with you that you think are the perfect example? Oh, yes. Well, there's currently one in Melbourne. Um, it's been extended at the Comedy Theatre. Come From Away is um, a musical set in uh, Newfoundland in Canada during September 11. Uh, it's based on real life stories of um, these 30 aircraft that were diverted. Oh, I'm doing a plug for Come From Away. Uh, diverted to this small town called Gander. And it's a musical put together based upon, you know, hundreds of real life stories. And it's a one act, no intermission. And the whole, in, I, I think each uh, each person on stage plays two or three different characters seamlessly. And they're always on stage. But that is a great example of a show that um, it, it, all the elements come together from, you know, the technical elements like lighting, staging, um, uh, costumes, all that kind of stuff, to direction, to the score, to um, the performers being well matched. The whole entire thing suspends your disbelief straight away. Um, so that's a fantastic example. Even some of the classics like Rodgers and Hammerstein, Cinderella, or um, uh, even like carousel you know they are in themselves their own thing their own beasts they're their own world so so yeah i think there's a few examples but at the moment come from away is the first one that comes into my head because it's just oh, also harry potter and the cursed child but when you got a budget like that if you're not suspending my disbelief there's something going wrong <laughs> yeah i i definitely want to see um the potter play you haven't seen it yet not yet okay but also i don't like harry potter well, look, I was never a huge fan of Harry Potter. I'm more of a Lord of the Rings boy, but you know that. And you don't really have to be a, a Potter nerd to to really understand it. I think you can still appreciate it for, for what it is. It's still a fantastic story told with technical precision and, and, and emotion and passion from the minute yeah, it all starts. Yeah, that, that's why I want to see it. I want to see a five-hour mm. play that's that technical and all of that stuff. But I did hear a story the other day oh, of no. a friend who went... And one of the tricks didn't work. And this person had to like pop out on stage and like hold up a bit of a screen. <laughs> Bless the backstage crew. Yeah, there's things like, there's like water tank. I don't want to give it all away, but like people have been trapped in water tanks before and things haven't come down and lights haven't. So it's, yeah, it, it requires a lot of money and a coordinated effort to make something like that happen, but definitely worth seeing. 
Yeah, I just have to get around to booking it well enough in advance to have good seats. Yeah, well, book today, you'll see it in 12 months. Yeah, which is mm. fine. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and do you, is there any shows that you people have raved about and you've seen and gone, oh, come on, this is so manipulatively exploitive of the audience just to... I mean, not to that level. I've there's, there's been some hype about shows because of, you know, certain people that have been in them. So, yeah, I have seen some shows where there's all this hype and, and you go and you go, what? What is everyone talking about? Like that was that was not so great. Yeah, which is which is sad. I think I recently saw. Um, I wasn't recent. It was ages ago. I saw a production of um, uh, Sweeney Todd, and um, there was a lot of hype around the production, uh, and I left an intermission because um, those elements weren't aligning for me. There was there was you know they were they were playing a play to me. It didn't feel like these people were in a world that I was able to to have a sneak peek into. So I was disappointed because Sweeney Todd's one of my like favorite musicals. So yeah, there are examples where I, I kind of go, Oh, what was all that about? There's other things where I go, why aren't people, you know, hyped up about this performance, you know, or like come from away, for example, it's like, why aren't people going and seeing this show? You know, well, because it's not, you know, doesn't have no pizzazz. It's got no like starring character. Um, but yeah, it's shows like that that I think are quite special because they are left of center, but they capture your um, imagination. Have you, you've traveled to New York, right? Yes, sir. And was that like, just like your dream of heaven? <laughs> it's my, one of mine. I mean, no, my heaven is like sipping pina coladas on a, on, on a beach somewhere where no one is, but New York, oh my gosh, what a place. Yeah. Uh, you go there and you just think, wow, like I can be whatever, whoever I want to be. And I believe that I can achieve it. That's what New York does for me. Um, it really, it's, it's quick, it's creative. It's so vibrant. Um, it's dirty, it's gross, it's overpopulated, it's inflated, it's expensive, but, um, ultimately I think it inspires the sense of you can, you can achieve what you want to achieve. And, um, I, that's what I take from New York when I, when I come back is, be who you want to be, do what you want to do, yeah. Or vice versa. I just love the fact that shows are there for so long that yeah. you, you do get a chance to build. Um, you can, depending on, like they do shut shows very quickly mm. if they're bad, but, you mm. know, others have been around for ages yeah. and just still there. Still there. That's what you get when you've got like 20, 25 shows on Broadway. You've got, a, you know, millions and millions of people visiting, you know, JFK airport, one of the busiest airports in the world. You've got people who go there and you have a culture that's established that this is what you do in New York. You go and see a Broadway show, you know, Melbourne is getting similar to that. When you're in Melbourne, you go and do artsy things. Um, that's why it's sad to see that it doesn't have that support from our government. Like, like I think it should, but yeah, those shows can just run and they have like Phantom of the Opera's run for God, 30, 20 25, 30 years. Don't quote me on that. But yeah, here they just, you know, you're lucky 12 months in one city is, is a long run for a show. Mm. Uh, so you, you used to live in Sydney and you moved to Melbourne. Yes. What do you find the difference? And why did you move to Melbourne? Um, well, I moved to Melbourne for a boy, which is a great excuse to move to Melbourne because it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and then I stayed, I've just stayed in Melbourne ever since because um, it's so livable. It's so easy to get around. The food is amazing. Um, the weather is not. But I think the city as a whole is just um, so easy. And that's what I like about Melbourne. Um, it doesn't feel like it's a struggle to, to kind of be here. Um, Sydney, it was, 
it was, I don't know, it felt, felt a bit more manic. So in Sydney, it was like, oh my God, I've got to schlep it from here to there and do this and there and my rent. Oh my God. So yeah, I've loved Melbourne and the, the arts is really is what's kept me here. The opportunities here as a performer, um, there's more support in a city like Melbourne for, especially for in, you know, indie artists um, and content creators like myself to do a show like Unmasking Prince Charming at an incredible venue at Chapel of Chapel um, and get people to actually come along. But that's a little bit harder to do in Sydney, I feel. True. That's what I feel. Mm. Like we're sitting in my apartment and I pay less in this for this apartment than I did to share a really rundown place in Sydney. It's wild. And you're like, why? Because of Bondi Beach? Like, you know, Circular Key. Is that why I'm in Sydney? Yeah. You know, so I'm not hating on Sydney because it is it is still a beautiful city, but yeah, Melbourne is just yeah that just that little bit more livable and easier to get around, um, and then the the opportunities and the type of creative works that come here. For example, Harry Potter, you know, one of the world's biggest shows, isn't in Sydney; it's yeah. in Melbourne for for a reason. And Frozen will open here. Is that the other one that's been announced? Well, actually, Frozen will open in Sydney, no, which is an- something else being something big. Oh. Oh my God, I don't even know. We'll have to Google that and maybe leave that somewhere. But there's another mm. one that I'm sure has just be recently been announced. It's the big something. Anyway. Oh, is it Hamilton? Maybe it is. Okay. Maybe there you go. Well, you know, my word of advice is open in Sydney, you close in Sydney. But open in Melbourne, I don't know. There's another quote I could probably quote, but I just can't think about it right now. <laughs> Interesting, just with mentioning of Hamilton. Yes. Uh, friends of mine think this is really funny because I can't get into a musical till I've seen it and then I'll love it. Like if, like if I listen, so I've never listened to the Hamilton soundtrack. I was like, I'll just wait. Sure. Do you fall in love with shows before you've seen them or after you've seen them? Um, I have to see them because it's the whole experience that you, you know, from a, from a cast recording, you never get the full sense of what's happening. Um, you get an idea and you've got to really listen. But when you're, for me, when you're completely in, in a world for an hour, two hours, you have an experience and it's the experience you remember. And then for me, the, the, the soundtrack or the, the cast recording is something that you listen back to in memory of what you experienced. Yeah. Cool. It was kind of like sad, actually. That was kind of like, like I would say that it's someone's like wake. No, but you're reliving that happy time. Yeah. So it's still happy, right? Yeah. Like I got to see Muriel's wedding simply because I had a friend who went, I've got a spare ticket, come. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. cool, go. Yeah. And hadn't heard a, a track or anything and then saw it, loved it so much, was so surprised by how much I actually loved it. Yeah. That now I listen to the soundtrack. Yes. When you get to see me. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the Melbourne tune? <laughs> the funny thing is the whole that whole number, I'm pretty sure she just stole from my mind for when I moved to Sydney from Queensland. Oh, really? Because that's how we all felt while we were all moving to Sydney. It was like, to be that. Wow. And, yeah, you know, like, oh, you never meet anyone from here and blah, 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 blah. All of those things. It's like, wow. I wonder if Sydney still holds that sense of regard from other, you know, for, for people from Brisbane or Perth or Adelaide, if they go, is it Sydney or is it Melbourne or is it not? either anymore who knows but yeah that particular track was just like that was my feelings when i moved there yeah Yeah. Mm. so you're you want to live a creative life so what's the plans what's what's the goals what are you doing you know you've got this show coming up yes what are you planning on doing what are you working on yeah so i've got unmasking prince charming coming up um in january which is great you know a whole hour of dialogue and songs that i have to you know regurgitate from my brain somewhere in there 
uh, after that, it's it's it'll just be you know obviously I need to pay my bills, so gotta hustle. But you know, I'd love to um, I'd love to live overseas. I'd love to you know um, give give the arts a go overseas. Um, you know, I'd love a touring production that would be incredible. So yeah, really, I'm just going to kind of go where opportunities um, open up and. Um, yeah, hopefully they open up in the creative world more. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've talked about um, Unmasking Prince Charming. Where can people see it? When can people see it? Yes. Unmasking Prince Charming is coming to Chapel of Chapel from the 23rd till the 25th of January as part of the Midsummer Festival. Uh, there's four shows. There's a matinee on the Saturday, actually, at 4 p.m. Um, so they can book tickets at chapelofchapel.com.au or through the Midsummer website they can book as well. Or they can just rock up, you know, as well and get a ticket and a slice of heaven. Excellent. Well, good luck. Thank you. Looking forward to seeing it. Thank you. Because I've seen a lot of its development, but I haven't seen the show yet. Well, maybe you can do a post-performance uh, podcast and you'll be like, now, Seth. <laughs> I'll just rearrange the songs for you. Yes. <laughs> slash my suspension of disbelief. Didn't quite nail it. Uh- <laughs> but the one good thing I'll have to say is I'll sit through the whole performance Oh, <laughs> as he points at me because I went to see a show with him and I left midway through the performance because it was appalling. <laughs> and left me sitting in there. I said, look, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to leave. So if you want to come with me, I'm going to be in the foyer sipping a gin and tonic. <laughs> and that's where I was when he found me. <laughs> very, very true. But uh, no, I'll sit through the whole thing and see you for the gin and tonic afterwards. Thank you. Yeah, it's on me this time. Excellent. Great. <laughs> Have fun. Thank you. Um, good luck and we'll... See you soon. Yes, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of 11 O'Clock. Please rate and review us on iTunes, comment on our Facebook page, and share us to your social media. I look forward to bringing you more episodes very soon.